0: Well, we've been talking about covenants, we've talked about three covenants, we've talked about the blood covenant, the salt covenant, and the sandal covenant, and today we start the wedding covenant. I thought this was going to be probably a two-part series, but I'm afraid, I'm not afraid, Um, I am thinking it's probably going to be more along the lines of three, because the depth of what's in this thing, okay? So, I want to go over, I've got a lot of things to say in a short time to get there because I want to give the worship team time to come up and, and do our worship and things for us. But I think at the end of this, you'll understand why God wanted to orchestrate this the way he did. We always want to make room. We make a plan, uh, but we're not unwilling to change that plan if God has other ideas. Amen. We're his followers. Uh, we're not his master. Amen. And we we need to remember that sometimes. So the wedding covenant. The marriage is a culmination of all three covenants coming together. The blood covenant's there. The salt covenant's there. The sandal covenant's there. And then we enter into the marriage covenant. And we're going to see this as we dive deeper and deeper into this marriage covenant. We're going to see exactly how this is played out. You may be saying, well, what's the glass of wine up there for? Well, for those of you who don't know... It is grape juice, okay? If you want to taste it, I'll let you, all right? Right after I take a big gulp of it, all right? Uh, But we do communion, and we take these elements, and sometimes, just like what Jessica was saying about the kids, sometimes we do it out of tradition and not out of understanding. We do things, and we go, why did I do that? How many know the story of the young woman? It was her first Thanksgiving meal. And her and her husband had just bought this house, and she was so excited. All of the family was coming over for Thanksgiving, and she was just, oh, beside herself. And she's hustling, and she's working, and she's doing, and she gets to the part of the ham. And she gets the ham out of the refrigerator, and she cuts the butt end of it off, and then she cuts it again. And she puts it in a tray, and she puts it in the oven. Her husband comes by and says, why'd you do that? She said, what I do what? He said, why'd you cut the butt end of that ham off and then put it on the train? She said, I don't know. My mom always did it. So he goes to the mom and says, hey, why does your daughter cut the butt end of the ham off and cut the ham and put it in the oven? She said, well, I don't know. My mom always did it. So he goes to the grandma. He says, grandma, why does your daughter and your granddaughter cut the end of the ham off and Put it on a tray and put it in the oven and says, well, my mom and my grandma did it. And she said, well, hon, that's easy. My, I didn't have an oven big enough to put the ham in. <laughs> so here's a lady doing a tradition or something that she thought was important. And there was a reason behind it, right? So I brought this glass of wine because we're going to talk about not all today, but we're going to talk about there's four cups to the marriage covenant, if you will. There are four cups that were present the night of the Last Supper there, it's very symbolic. You've heard me say this. Your God is a very symbolic God. He wants to show you things. I had two people today say, Did you see the rainbow? When we came in this morning. How many saw the rainbow? Some of you are like, What? There was a rainbow? Steve actually took a picture of it and said, Hey, did you see this? I said, That's awesome. What is the rainbow about? I can tell you it's not about a flag. It's about a covenant promise. When we see that, do you know, and we're going to find out later, that the colors in the rainbow represent the covenants? God wants you to know. Paul said it this way. Concerning these things, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> now, he was talking about spiritual gifts, okay? But I think it applies here. God saying, I'm going to give you these things. How many of us we love The way our mind works, we see things and it reminds us of something. right? good or bad, but it reminds us we can see a picture of things a lot better than we can remember a bunch of words. This marriage covenant, the blood, the salt, and the sandal, which is servanthood, friendship, and inheritance. They're both spiritual and physical. Know this too about the God that we serve. He can be literal and figurative all in the same sentence. Because sometimes he's applying things to a spiritual reality, sometimes to a physical, sometimes to both. We know that Jesus spoke and he said that the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out sowing the seeds. Now we know that the gospels, if the gospel was that, we'd buy everybody a sow bag. (laughs) And we'd get you some seed every time you come in Sunday and you go to scatter it. He was relating a physical thing to a spiritual principle. Guess what? You should have a sow bag on, a seed bag. Every day you're casting seed. Some of it's going to fall on good ground. Some of it's going to fall on not so good ground. But your responsibility is to cast the seed. In Mark 2, Matthew 9, and Luke 5, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. Psalms 19, Isaiah 61 and 62, God's referred to as the bridegroom. And finally in Revelation 18 we read about the voice of the bridegroom that will not be heard in you anymore. Speaking of the destruction of Babylon. A lot of people are wondering about the destruction of Babylon these days. Starting about a week ago when Israel was attacked. When Jerusalem or excuse me when the, the Gaza We can say a lot of things. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the things that are going on there, um, but some of these things are absolutely gut-wrenching. To attack women and children, I'll just leave it at that. I didn't want to be about that today. I want to be about the marriage covenant. But let me tell you this, it does have an ending. When we understand the marriage covenant, we'll understanding, or we'll start to begin to understand what even this is even all about this war that we're seeing uh, be played out in front of our eyes. There's many illustrations and references to the marriage covenant from Genesis to Revelations. God talks about the marriage covenant. Is there any wonder that the enemy is after the family, the marriage covenant? Because we're going to find out in, in a minute, it's not just about two people. You can't know scripture if you don't know covenant. And you won't understand covenant, especially Revelation, if you don't understand the ancient Hebrew rituals and ceremonies. Because there again, it's God's picture to his people saying, hey, this is how it looks. This is what I want you to do. This is how it plays out. And you go, oh, okay. God wants us to get it. That's why he's very symbolic. So let's talk about the marriage, how it begins. So the marriage comes about when two people, two young people, decide they want to get married. Now, in the Western understanding, boy sees girl, girl sees boy, eyes are flattered, right? Uh, I think there's a word called twitterpated. You get twitterpated, right? And you do that thumper thing or whatever, right? A lot of the Western tradition and culture comes from the ancient Hebrew understanding. However, we've lost a lot of what we're doing. And you're gonna, I'm going to tie this in so you can see why we do some of the things that we do. Now, so here's how to happen. We hear that it's an arranged marriage. It's not the arranged marriage that you and I think it is, okay? When we hear arranged marriage, it's me going to somebody and saying, Hey, my son is going to marry your daughter, all right? They may be infants, okay? Now, I'm not saying that did not take place, okay? But here's the kicker. When that happened, that marriage was not considered legal, okay? A parent could arrange a marriage like that, but it was not considered legal. And you're going to understand here in just a minute why. The the lady of this betrothal, if you will, Had to make a decision, okay, before it could become legal. Let me say it this way. Types and shadows. Why was it illegal for a parent to arrange the marriage? Why was that not a legal binding thing? Because you have to make a choice. You can't get there on your mom and dad's coattail. Now, there's a time when children are under their parents' authority, all right, and they're under their rule, they're under their... Subjection, if you will, but there comes a time. I had to tell all of my kids, You will have to decide who God is for you. All this time, you've been living under my house, and we go to church and we pray, we seek God's wisdom, da 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 da, but you will have to decide for yourself. For this reason, shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife? See, we say things, and and I understand the premise of what we're saying. Oh, I'm getting a new daughter in law. I'm getting a new daughter. I'm getting a new son. No, you're not. You can treat them that way. You can treat them like family, and you should. But your son and your daughter are leaving the houses that they grew up in, and they're forming a new house. Means they're responsible. Listen, if I say something that pricks you, let it prick you, <laughs> okay? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be, but listen, there's a lot of parents that are involved in their kids' lives, and you need to back up. And what I mean by that is that I, have a, I had a, a person that I knew that it turned out awful because they weren't ever able to separate and what I mean by that, listen, there's nothing wrong. As parents, we want to we help our kids. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to help them do things. I had a conversation with a young mom. And this mom never put the baby down, okay? And I had to say, listen, you're not helping the baby. The baby's got to learn how to walk, the baby's got to learn how to grow. The baby's going to have bumped knees, maybe even a bumped chin. But that's why God made them low to the ground. Okay? They don't have very far to fall, right? You take me for instance, I'm going to hurt myself, right? Unless I hit my belly and I'll just rock like a <laughs> That wasn't funny. <laughs> so this arranged marriage what it was was a boy would see a girl, girls see a boy, and they would kind of like, hmm, I'm kind of interested. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not trying to get too crazy here. I'll let your mind do some of the work for me. But, you know, there's a time in your life. Here's how it's supposed to be. Boys, when you see a girl in kindergarten, first grade, they got cooties, okay? And girls look at the boys and go, they got cooties, right? And that's way it's supposed to be. But somewhere about, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, you start looking and you go, does she really have cooties? And then you start getting a little older and you go, I don't care if she got cooties or not. I kind of like what she looks, right? (laughs) Here's the problem, moms and dads. We don't know how to teach our kids about this. We don't go to them and say, listen, it's okay. You're supposed to have these kinds of feelings, but we got to be careful what we do with them. Instead of just going, shove it under the rug, well, there'll be a time for that later. No. Like Jessica said, they're asking questions. Jessica, thank God. She was the easy one. Mom, where do babies come from? God gave us a special place. Okay. Missed that bullet, right? But then she would come back and she would want more information, which means she settled that in her heart. She needs another piece of the information. So we would give it to her. I'm reminded of a story about uh, a mom and she's crying. And she said, My girl came home from school and she said, Mom, what's sex? And she said, Oh gosh, sit down. So she explained all of the birds and bees to her. And at the end of the little girl just started crying. She said, What's the matter, honey? She said, How am I supposed to get all that in this little bitty box? She just wanted to know if, do I check M or F? (laughs) Mom jumped the gun. Be careful, all right? But at the same time, don't be silent. They need to hear. What do you have to say? At one time, and I, I forget where I read this, at one time the healthiest uh, perspective on sex was in the Israel country, and it was a long time ago. And what I mean by that is that there was very few um, teen pregnancies and all other kind of sexually transmitted diseases and all this stuff because they had such a healthy understanding of what um, the the sex relationship was from a godly standpoint, okay? And we need to get back to that. And what I mean by that is we need to start teaching our kids these kinds of things. Even like the marriage covenant, we can break this down for kids. So the arranged marriage was a young man, a young woman, they kind of fall in love. The boy would go to his father, and he would say, Dad, I really like this girl. And he'd say, well, who is she? And they would find out about the family, so, I'm, and, and, and when I say this, this is hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of me reading articles and studying stuff. So, I'm giving you just the phew, top of the iceberg, okay? So, the dad would say, okay. And so they would devise a plan, and the family would leak out that there might be an official proposal coming, all right? Crazy little something in the air, right? So here's what would happen. When that proposal time came, the dad would take his son and they would go to the prospective bride's house. And they would carry with them a cup, a betrothal cup, all right? And they would carry the price of the bride. Now, it's not really a dowry, okay? I believe the actual Hebrew word is uh, mohar. But they would carry that with them. And it says that... They would go to the door and he would knock. And the bride's dad would go to the door and he would look out and he'd say, Honey, it's them. Do you want me to open the door? She had an option. Daddy, open the door. Or she would say no. If she opened the door, that was the very first step. That was salvation, the representation of salvation, sanctification. So they would go in, the father, the son, would go into the bride's house with, his, with her father, and they would begin negotiating. Now, the first thing that would happen, and there's a, there's a little bit of, uh, I've read more articles on it happened than it didn't happen, okay? But I'm going to say for the sake of argument that I, I love the symbolism. So they would go in. And one of the first things that they would do when they would shut the door is, again, it was ask. Now, the ask was not, will you? The ask was, will you? And the bride, if she so desired, she could say, no, it was over, they would leave. Or she would take a drink of the cup, signifying that she is saying yes to this process. So at that They would begin negotiating, all right? Now, there again, I am fast-forwarding, and we're going to go, you're going to hear some of these things brought up again, but I'm trying to give you this big, broad picture so that you get a great big hook in your mouth so you have to come back next week and the next week. I want you to hear the heart of your father. So they would begin negotiating this contract, okay? So the first cup is cup of sanctification, restoration. Hey, yes, you want to do this, you want to you be a part of what I'm doing, then yes, I am going to let you be a part of this. I've made a way. And dad was there. He's watching all this go on. So they would open the door, negotiations begin. Here's the thing. I, I love this. It said, how many can I can I be um this is not bigoted or racial or anything like that, but you know. We have grown so um, soft-skinned that when you hear the word stereotype and things like that, we, we fluff up our feathers and get all offended, right? Most of us know. I mean, we even use a slang. You go to buy something off of Marketplace, and you haggle over the price. What's that called? Jew-ing somebody. <laughs> what are the, is that, was that derogatory? No. They were harsh negotiators, and it said sometimes in this negotiating there was a lot of table pounding and a lot of loud voices. But see, if the Western understanding, if I, if I come and I said, Pat, no, we're not bringing seventeen goats. He says, Okay. Well, we would think that that was mean, but no, it was the it was the spirit of the negotiation, right? Remember. This guy's son is fixing to marry this guy's daughter. They're negotiating. I know some of you dad's are like, yeah, take her. <laughs> Here, you keep all that. Just take her too. I'm the So they would make this negotiation. In this negotiation, we see the things being played out. Let me let me let me back up just a little bit. And tell you about this choice because I want to settle debate on something. It's been said, now the the Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, right? Now the Bible also says that you can't come to Jesus unless you're drawn by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. If we're not careful, we'll misrepresent or we'll misunderstand what that Scripture is saying. And we'll say, see, God doesn't call all. That's not according to Scripture. Scripture says God calls everyone you have a part to play. You get to make a choice. It even started in Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to read a few of these things here, and then we're going to read together. But I'm going to go to first to verse 10. Let me give you a little bit of background. So Abraham's here. He's got his son Isaac, and he needs to find her a wife. But where he's at, he's like, listen, y'all can't be going to the bar and finding my son a wife. Okay, did I say bar? Um, he said, you can't stay in this city and find there, there's not any women acceptable. So the parents' approval was a huge part of this, okay? It doesn't mean they necessarily arranged it, but the parents' approval was a part of this. We told our kids. We had a friend, um, Sharon, you remember Moses, and and, um, he was at our house one day, and the kids were small. Moses was a friend of ours that uh, was in Nigeria. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And he was in Nigeria, and um, a very dark man, and he made James Earl Jones sound like a soprano. But he's sitting on our couch, and we're talking. Jessica was young, and she was thinking about, not really thinking about marriage, but she, you know, she was at that age that that was going to be soon in her future. And Moses tells her, Jessica, when you get married, if your mother and your father do not like this boy, oh! He, he would end sometimes with this ear piercing, ah oh, After this really low. he'd say, I will not come either. What he was saying is saying, listen, can I t- let me? Y'all want me to give you a great piece of advice? Here it is, right here. Young ladies, the best judge of your boyfriend is going to be your dad. You know why? Because he used to be one. Young boys, the best judge of your girlfriend or want to be wife is going to be your mom, because she used to be one. Young. Boy, I mean, you got to clarify that statement today. Woo! (laughs) Some of y'all caught that. Third piece of advice get a birth certificate. (laughs) Check things out, do a little investigation. I can't believe I had to say that. When I say that, I'm saying this from a biblical perspective. Not all moms we know may be good judges. Not all dads may be good judges. I'm talking about from a spiritual, God-fearing place. Because we understand, right? And we can look and we can see things. We've got life experience. And we can go, hey, wait a minute. I can tell you this. When um, my daughter struggled with marrying Brian. Because he did not fit her mold. (laughs) Dad, I'm going to marry a guy like this and this and this. And she had all these spiritual expectations, right? And I said, honey, I said, if that was true, your mom would have never married me. She said, what? I said, remember, God looks at the heart. Now, we weren't talking about Brian wasn't, y'all, Brian make you think like you're some kind of crazy monster out there or something, right? (laughs) He was living in the bars and he, no. (laughs) What I'm saying is that she had these high expectations and, and, and Brian, I said, honey, he's where he's at, right? Have you talked about these things? And she said, yes. Listen, she didn't even know at that time when they were sitting down talking about these things, they were talking about the ketubah, the legal marriage contract, the ketubah. We need to be talking with our kids about this. Parents, don't be so strict and harsh that when you see these things and you go, no, he's not for you, he don't make enough money. But he's just one investment away, one break away, right? And is, it, is that what it's about? Is it about money? I just threw that in there. So here we are in Genesis. Abraham says to his servant, this is important. Abraham says to his servant, Western understanding, he says to his servant, his slave, his person that helps him, oh my gosh, see, that's bad the Bible talks about. Listen, stop it. In the scriptures, to be a servant of someone was one of the highest honors you could have. That's what Jesus became. He became a doulos. A servant, someone who put down his own will to serve his master, the one who sent him. So here's this, this guy. And it, he, Abraham, y'all need to read this story in Genesis 24 today, okay? This is something great you can talk with your kids about. So he makes him swear an allegiance to him, and he does, and he gives him a way out if this doesn't happen. But watch this, verse 10. Then he loaded, this is the servant. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to distant Aram Naharim, the mountains, Naharim. And so when he gets there, he's got all this expensive stuff. What is it? It's the price of the bride. All this, ladies, you're worth it. All the men said, that's a little weak, man. Yes. So he kind of throws this fleece out and he says, okay, God, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sit right here at this well. And when people come by, I'm going to ask them if they'll give me a drink, these ladies. And if they say, yes, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels, that's the one. Okay. Here goes the story. Here comes Rebecca. She's got a water jug and he says, hey, will you give me a drink? And she says, yes, my master. Yes, my Lord. What's does she calling What? No, she's respecting him. Right? So she gets a deal and he gets his fill. And she says, I will draw water for your camels too. And he goes, rock roll." <laughs> so she gathers. This was work for her. Camels. I saw a deal the other day It said camels can drink up to 200 liters at one filling. That's a lot of water. And so she dumps it out. <clears throat> they get their fill of water. And he says, listen. And he explains to her why he's there, what's happening. And he puts a gold bracelet on her wrist and a nose ring. See, some of y'all go like nose ring. It's in there. I don't necessarily want one. I'm just saying. So it goes on that she goes back to her house and she brings him with and says, Hey, look, everybody. He tells them the story, what's happening. Okay, now let's go to verse 50 and we're going to read this together. <clears throat> verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel. Replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here's Rebecca, take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Now, the family's all in agreement. The Lord said this. Yep, let's do it. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshiped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebecca. This is the Mohar, right? He's presenting this price of the bride to her. Now, it was customary that. They gave this to the, the mother and the father. And there's, a, there's some other traditions that talk about if the father was really good, he wouldn't keep all of this to himself. He would basically turn around and bless his daughter with these things as well. Okay? <clears throat> we won't get into all of that just right now. Uh, He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother, which was very custom. Then they ate their meal, very important, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, send me back to my master, but we want Rebecca to stay with us at least 10 days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. But he said, this is the servant, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said... We'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. It's not an arranged marriage like you think it is. So they called Rebecca and they said, Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her, and she replied, Yes, I will go. We have a servant that comes and asks you, Will you marry this man? His name is Holy Spirit. He is the servant of God so to speak he's the one that's coming to our heart and saying hey are you willing to get into this committed relationship and we have a choice yes or no all men are given this listen let me tell you this I had to knock on her daddy's door four times Her daddy said, You mean she said, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> he says, He's back. Nope. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Finally, she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wore <her> down. <laughs> I'd like to say I was like Jesus in that moment. A lot of patience. He keeps knocking, he's faithful. He keeps knocking at the door of our heart, saying, Will you let me in? So we see this that um Mo, or excuse me, in Genesis here, Abraham, Rebecca had a choice. She said yes to this. At any time in the betrothal process, the bride can stop everything that's going on without any even a good reason. She can just be a woman and say, "I'm not going to." Now I want you to see some illustration here. What's happening is that contrary to that, when a man proposed, he was committed. He was to carry out this. Only could he give a writ of divorce to his wife, and it was very, very limited. There was only a couple of things that could happen that he could do this, right? Very restrictive, not like today. Well, we just got irreconcilable differences. I don't like the color purple on her, whatever, right? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying sometimes our excuses are like, what? Maybe if we followed the biblical guidelines here, we wouldn't have found ourselves in a mess. Amen? It's not condemning, right? You find yourself in that place, say, Lord God, thank you so much for forgiveness that you've washed me clean, even from my bad mistakes. Amen? You've set my feet on solid ground. Hallelujah. All things have been made new. Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Right? That ought to make you just fall down and weep. All things are made new. So we go back to this, and so the bridegroom, he's totally committed. She can stop this at any time. The opening of the door, the first step of the marriage covenant, it is salvation. That's when the restoration process begins. It is a long and lasting relationship. The covenants are progressive in nature. You don't get to skip from the front to the back and go to the middle. They're they're progressive. You have to fulfill them in order. See, the problem with our Western way of thinking, we've gotten things out of order, and we don't understand why our lives are in disorder. Let me say that again. We've gotten out of order with the things we're supposed to do, and we don't understand why our lives are in disorder. We want to do, we want to have the commitment, excuse me, we want to have the covenant without the commitment. Or we walk into things lightly. Remember when I was talking, I believe it was uh, two weeks ago, and we were talking about this is the reason that Paul said some people take of the cup unworthily. What are they talking about? They're not understanding what they're doing. They don't understand the covenant. And they just make it common. And it's not common. This is not common. It's not supposed to be common. In light of this, you've heard me say, if you don't understand Genesis... You won't understand Revelation. If you don't understand, if you think about end times, if you don't understand Genesis and Daniel, you'll get to Revelation and your head will just pop. Okay? You have to understand that. In light of this, see this very important verse that we read and we quote. Revelations 3 and 20 says this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Some of your translations say, I will come in and sup with you right and you with me that word have a meal together has a multiplicity of meanings it can mean a meal which we're going to see later that in this negotiation when everything's done when the inks dry on the paper they have a meal together but there's this drinking this supping that takes place there's four cups to it we're going to talk about these other three cups later i want to i want to build this huge picture for you to see. I want you to chew on this for the rest of the week. So, this is where we get the ketubah or the marriage contract. This is where it's made at right here in this. They would, as they're uh, talking about this, as they're writing this down, they're negotiating what is happening. There was five parts of the ketubah. Number one, there should be a detailed family history of the bride and the groom in this ketubah. So, here's what let me, let me say this. When the ketubah was written, They would negotiate these things. They would say, all right, Cody, are we good? We're good. We've come to to an agreement. Send in the scribe. So the scribe would come in, and we would tell him what to write down on the ketubah. All right? If you see the the picture that we had this morning of the title message, the, the wedding, that is the ketubah. They actually still use that today. Okay? The interesting thing is these rings here. I didn't tell you this. So, when they brought the price of the bride, how was it solidified? A lot of times it was solidified in a ring. That's where we get this custom of giving each other rings. Okay? We we would put this ring on their finger and solidify. Here's another important thing. When this ketubah was finalized by the scribes, they were under the eyes of the law legally married. If he died before. When I say these words, I'm hearing all these Hebrew words in my mind, okay? So there was three parts. There was the going to the door, then there was the negotiating, the erosun, and then the niyasa. And so the, this erosun, which was the betrothal period, would last somewhere between one and two years. There was no real, it was typically about 12 months. 12 to 14 months was a pretty common occurrence, Okay? And so in this, in that time, if something happened to the man, the woman was entitled to the inheritance that was set into the ketubah because they were legally married, okay? They just had not yet consummated the marriage. That's what the wedding was all about. The actual marriage was about them actually tying the knot, if you will, and it was signified by a very colorful display that had a lot of horns, hint, hint, And the procession would go to her house. The groom would retrieve his bride, and he would walk her through all of the town back to his house that he had gone to prepare for her a long time ago. Are you starting to see a picture? Number two in this Ketubah, a detailed history of the bride and her family. Number three, a detailed history of the groom and his family. Number four, how the bride and groom met. And number five, a detailed section both of the bride and groom's responsibilities before and after the wedding. You say, what does this have to do? Remember, I told you your God is a God of symbolism. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are God's marriage covenant covenant. Genesis is the history of the bride and the groom. Exodus gives the personal and family history of the bride. Leviticus is the history of God's family, the Levites, the priest. Number four, uh, Numbers tells us of God's love affair with his people in the wilderness. It tells of their joys and sorrows as he reaches out to his bride. Yes, I promise to love him in sickness and in health, richer or poorer. What did they have in Israel, in the wilderness? All of those things. It's quiet in this place. Deuteronomy specifies the responsibilities that both bride and groom must fulfill. We just thought about it was a book of law. You can't, you can, you can't, you can. And he's writing this thing down saying, Hey, this is a ketubah. God said, I'm not going to have a bride that doesn't have a ketubah. This is my written ketubah to you. What you can inherit. What's rightfully yours, when you betroth yourself to me, when you open that door, and you take a sip of that wine, and you say yes, you've started the process, but you've not finished it, because there's two more cups you got to drink of before we get to the fourth cup. But he says, I'm going to give you this ketubah. Interesting enough, the ketubah in the day required seven signatures to be legal, These came from the bride and the groom, the two fathers, a scribe who would later be a a rabbi, and two witnesses to sign it. You know, there's there's a reason on the marriage certificate. It has the bride and the groom's name, and then there's two spots, and it says witnesses, a matron of honor, and a best man. Why do we do these things? It's not just so we cut the butt off the ham. It goes back to a a root. It goes back to an understanding. Now watch this. The Torah, God's marriage covenant, has seven major players. Abraham and Noah were the two witnesses. Abraham was the father of the groom. Jacob was the father of the bride. Moses was the scribe. David was the bride And Yahshua was the groom. If you don't understand Genesis, you're going to get confused in Revelation. The last time we see seven seals is in Revelation. Y'all thought it was about angels breaking open a bowl and pouring it out on mankind? Seven seals, seven signatures. Hey, guys, look, there's a picture I've painted for you. Don't be afraid. I'm getting my house ready for you. I think we have this picture of (laughs) funeral music being played. (laughs) No, it's going to be a day of celebrating. My name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus shows up in the most amazing tuxedo you could ever imagine. I don't know if he really does. (laughs) I know his robe's gonna be completely white. I know that. And the thing that we're gonna have on is gonna be completely white. It's symbolic. It doesn't mean, guys, that we're gonna become women. It's not talking about that. He's saying, I'm choosing you as my bride, my beloved. And I'm making a place for you. That's why the Bible says in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. But in my father's house are many mansions. The tradition is the man, when he would make this covenant with his wife, he would go back to his dad's house and he would build a room that was attached to his father's house. Hello? I promise you this. That one little room is going to be magnificent. In my father's house are many mansions. We read that like his house is a man. No, he's saying... In my Father's house, there are all these mansions that are attached to it, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Alex, if you want to make your way up, um, worship team. If you want to send Steve, if you want to send and go grab the kids. I think, I don't know if, uh, yeah, Josh, if you'd let them know, come on back in. So the tradition was, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but the Father is the one who sets the wedding day. The Bible says, Jesus said, they said, when are you coming back? And he says, I don't know. We've, we've understood that to mean Jesus didn't know. He's all, how could he not know? He's part of God, right? And he says this statement, he says, that's not up to me, it's up to the Father. In the Hebrew tradition, the Father would tell the Son when to go get his bride, And usually it was after all the preparations had been made. Dad, can I go get her today? Hang on, son. I need you to get that trim right there and get that door fixed. Let's talk about it. Okay. And he would do that. Maybe the next day he'd say, Dad, Dad, I got. is today the day? Not today, son. Not today. This is the tradition. What a beautiful and amazing tradition. If you come back next week, we're going to talk about that tradition. How it unwraps and unfolds i mean we have just cracked the book open chapter one we're two paragraphs in to this 66 book book and much more i mean, i'm telling you it will blow your mind i want you to understand this today the lord's inviting you to a wedding I didn't want to say this, I'm going to say this anyway. Some of you are going to choose to be the bride. Some of you are going to be okay with just being at the party. I'm going to let you chew on that a while. What are you talking about? Just let it sink in. But he's made a, an amazing invitation to you and I to come be his bride. That's not vulgar. It's not anything bad. It's amazing invitation. Come on. Come be my bride. Here's all I'm asking. We're going to worship the Lord. If you... We don't normally get out till 12, 1210, 1230 if you have to be somewhere and you need to leave go ahead don't, don't hear this condemning okay if you need to leave by all means you're free to go but if you want to stay here's what I'm asking if you do not have a marriage ketubah if you don't know this Yeshua that I speak of this Jesus while we're worshiping would be a great time for you to say in your heart, God, I need you. I want to be your bride. I receive the cup. I drink this cup and say yes to you and to your plan. I say yes to your marriage proposal. That's what I want us to do. Stand with me. pray, and we're going to move right into worship. Father, we thank you for your good. Yes, Lord, you're good, and we love you. Father, let our hearts cry out to you in this moment of worship. Father, maybe some of us cry out with repentance. Maybe some cry out With thanksgivingness, with gladfulness, with joy, with a thankful heart, whatever it may be, Lord, let let us do it as unto you, our groom, the one who has sanctified us by this cup, the one who has redeemed us back by this cup, by the shedding of his blood. We thank you for it now, Lord. We give you all the praise and all of the glory. In Jesus' name.